Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Brock Meyer. Fascinating times we find ourselves in, right, in America. This holiday, which we get the word holy day, a holy day means that something significant has happened, where we pause and we look at what has gone on where significance has taken place. We believe Psalm 33:12 that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And so underneath that banner, we believe that the Lordship of Christ reigns supreme over all things. So with that as our worldview this morning, we want to go into understanding the times in which we live. Have you ever just woken up recently and you thought, where in the world am I? Did I wake up in a foreign land? Because this is not the America that I was born into. This is not the America that I was taught in elementary school. It seems like there is something else going on. We have shifted from legislators that put law into place, leaning on holy scriptures for guidance, to now having legislators that put law into place that defend sin, celebrate sin, and then fellow Americans who will punish you if you don't come alongside an agreement of their sin. It's a fascinating time that we see in America to not just defend sin, but to celebrate it and then maybe even to shame or to shut down your business if you don't come and align with what the Bible says is ungodly. So it's a fascinating America in which we find ourselves. Our U.S. military, which should be focused on being battle ready and going over warfare readiness. I don't know if you've seen this, but are now spending their time in diversity training and in uh, sensitivity training. And they're being told to fly a rainbow flag over our embassies. And the White House is lit with lighting of rainbow colors, not the rainbow to celebrate the promises of God that he will defend and protect his people, but to celebrate sexual perversion. We see this at the highest level of government when it comes to the White House of the United States of America. Our military chaplains now are being told that you can only teach and preach on certain things and that you have to be nice around certain subjects uh, because we don't want to hurt or offend anyone's feelings. It's a fascinating America when other people's feelings trump the authority of Scripture. We want to be more aware of feelings than we want to be aware of the presence of the Lord, where, where the duty of a chaplain is to take care of the spiritual and needs of our armed force. They say you need to keep your mouth shut and you can't preach the full gospel of God. It's a fascinating America in which we live. We just came out of Pride Month for the month of June. Have you noticed that Jesus coming to the earth, where God became man, coming to the earth, Christmas gets a day where that God who then lays his life down for the sins of mankind called Easter gets a day. Thanksgiving gets a day. Independence Day gets a day, where we ought to be celebrating at least a month for our independence. We ought to be celebrating 365 days, but we get a day. Pride gets a month to celebrate something where the Bible would say this is not something to celebrate. 
Have you maybe have even seen Burger King's latest uh, marketing campaign where it's kind of a push back in the face of something like Chick-fil-A where they're closed on Sundays. Burger King says every chicken sandwich that we sell on Sundays, a proceed is going to go to LBGT to fund their ideology. That's their boast. That's their marketing campaign. And we wake up in America that is so much different than maybe the one that we were born into. On the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast, he mentions this. He says, we could be feeling two things right now. Number one, we could be feeling condemned on the fact of, you know, I just don't do enough and what is it that I need to be doing? Or number two, we could be feeling full of fear. Man, I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. And we get full of some anxiety and some worry and concern. And if you're fear, feeling fearful, just ask the question, what's happening inside of me? What is going on? Sometimes even people will live in fear and they'll say, we're living in the last days, right? There's wars and rumors of wars and there's anarchy and there's riots in the streets and all kinds of stuff is going on. And when that stuff happens, we got to ask ourselves, why am I full of fear right now? And instead of, even some people will say, I'm kind of celebrating the fact that it's getting worse because this is going to mean it's going to usher in the, the last days. And it's a defeatist mentality saying, let's hurry up and get out of here. And it's escapism. So instead of taking up arms of, of the word of God to fight back in the spiritual warfare in which we find ourselves. We ought not to move in a spirit of fear. That is not the kingdom mindset. That's not the makeup of the kingdom. The mindset and the makeup of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy, which is found in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to preach on this. I believe that people are showing up on Sunday mornings believing that what their pastor is teaching is actually important. Hopefully, church family. Hey, there's an amen, all right. We actually hope that what he's going to say has importance, doesn't have any relevance to my life. And if he doesn't ever teach on certain things, I guess that's just not important. We could. If A plus B equals C, and so we need to highlight some of these things because of the state and affairs on which we live our lives in this nation. And so the Bible talks about all of this, and every square inch belongs to the Lord. Every piece of this earth, whether it comes to education, medicine, entertainment, law, government, belongs to the lordship of Jesus Christ, where it bows its knee to the throne of God. In Psalm 24, 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of thereof, and all of those who dwell therein. Sometimes we might have a, a complexity of what's going on in Scripture where we just want to keep the Bible inside the four walls of the church. And the world is telling us that. Just keep your, your mouth muzzled, keep your worldviews to yourself. You guys kind of entertain yourselves on Sunday mornings. For an hour, we don't really mind, but you're not allowed to come into the public square, right? Everybody else can have their own worldviews, except if you've got a Christian worldview. In 1989, this movie came out. Anybody remember this? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, this guy is a scientist, and he, and he creates this way of like shrinking an apple, and he shrinks these other things. And somehow he moves it, and he, and he hits himself, and he hits his kids, and, and you know, everybody is shrunk now. Just wonder if we've had, honey, I've shrunk the gospel, where it's, it's so small, it's so tiny, and it, it doesn't speak to all things. It does not speak to law. It does not speak to government. It does not speak to education. It doesn't speak to your professional lives. It's not allowed out in the public arena. It's shrunk to live within the confines of the church. 
And that's exactly where the world would like to keep it, is to shrink the gospel down to where uh, what, what we do is we create these, these worshipers that are fearful, that we're not allowed to go out in the public, or we're going to get smacked, or we're going to get fired, or we're going we're gonna to lose our lives. And, and so we just kind of keep this small, tight, narrow, and let's just be nice. And the whole goal of Christianity now is just let's be nice. Let's go along to get along, and let's just be nice to one another. We can't really offend anybody, knowing that the gospel calls us to a radical message. You, you don't get killed like Jesus for having a comfortable message. You don't get persecuted like every single disciple by having a message that everybody just loves and they keep them nice and comfortable and easy. And so what we saw years ago in the Chicago Evening News, there was an author, Finley, who wrote this satire, and the guy's name in the, the character of the story was Mr. Dooley. And Mr. Dooley said, I did not come just to comfort the afflicted. I came to afflict the comfortable. And my message this morning is to, is to stir it up, throw a little glass in the nest so that we would get uncomfortable and begin to soar once again instead of just getting comfortable in the, in the nest called the sanctuary of Fairmount Friends, knowing that we're called to soar and to get a little bit uncomfortable. If you need to leave before I do, feel free. R.C. Sproul said this, if God is the creator of the entire universe, then it must follow that he is the Lord of the whole universe. No part of the world is outside his lordship. That means that no part of my life should be outside of his lordship. This word politics, this word politics, it's, it's an English word. It has its root from the Aristotle classic work. It means politikai or politica, but it's the word that we get from polis, which means city. Polis means city. It's the, it's the public affairs which happen in our cities. And they say, well, the, the church shouldn't speak to politics. The church is just talking about the public affairs on which goes on around our daily lives. Yes, the Bible has some thoughts on that. God has some thoughts on what goes on on his beautiful green and blue earth. He sure does. And so we cannot escape a mindset of this. We need to be equipped with a mindset of this. The, 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 the call of the pastor is not to preach cute messages. The call of the pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is not just doing VBS. It's not just doing really cool Sunday school. The work of the ministry is to bring the kingdom of, of, of God to the planet today in your job, in my job, in your area of influence, in your marriage, with your children, in law, in government, in medicine, in education, in all of the mega pillars of what makes up a nation, we ought to be those that are ministering to it. And where do we get that? You're not going to fall into it. You're not going to get it in higher education for sure. It must come from the pulpits of America where pastors are preaching and teaching with a biblical worldview, what is going on with the public affairs of a nation, and then how do we biblically be able to, to walk through and see what is going on? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, the Bible, the word of God, the gospel, does not need to be defended. It's like a caged lion. It just simply needs to be let out of its cage. And church family, if I could encourage you to be God-centered, soul, scripture-saturated, to where you walk out in your everyday life like a, like a lion let out of its cage. Not a muzzled little voice, and no, we can't. We just want to be nice. The goal is not to be nice. 
Yes, we don't want to be obnoxious and we don't want to be rude and crude, but we want to bring a radical love that says, you're about to fall off of a cliff, baby, get back here. I want to save you. You need to have an impact and an encounter with this God-man, Jesus Christ, and the way that you're going is not the right way. It's love is not encouraging them off the cliff. Love is saying, get back here and encounter your maker. He has a beautiful vision and call for your life. And so today, I want us to encounter this, uh, like a history lesson, if we could. Can we go on a little history lesson this morning? And as we dive into a little history, I want us to see that there is this God-fearing, Jesus-loving people who have turned a nation before. And it doesn't happen just by good church attendance. It happens by those catching a holy flame of God. The French historian Alexis de Tocqueville, he came to America, right? And he looked around and he says, whenever I'm, I'm looking back, and he reports back to France. And he says, I want to tell you that the beauty that I saw in America, and whenever I looked upon her beautiful mountains, I looked for its beauty and it was not there. And I look at the pristine streams and it was not there. And I looked at her high, towering pines and redwoods and the beauty was not there and I looked at her industry and the economics and the market that she has created and the beauty was not there it wasn't until I went into the churches of America and I saw her pulpits aflame with fire did I see why America is great and America is great because America is good and if she ever ceases to be good she will cease to be great. And church family, I'm telling you to get our hearts good again before the Lord. Where we repent and we hit the deck and we say, Jesus, no longer do we want to celebrate sin, but we want to repent of our evil ways. We want to turn our hearts towards you. God, would you heal our land? It's not about we need America to be great again. We need America to be good again. And my plea this morning is to get a vision of goodness and what it really means to fight a good fight of faith. To fight a good fight of faith. There was the Black Robe Regiment. The Black Robe Regiment was a group of pastors that took up arms, spiritually and literally, and it was a mocking term that came from Great Britain, called them the Black Robe Regiment. But it was pastors who stood in the pulpit that unapologetically said, the way for us to end slavery is not by being nice. The way to end slavery is by going to battle and we need a civil war. And so they would have their clerical robes on with their guns on their sides taking their coats off and leading the charge into the Civil War. They say if it wasn't for the Black Robe Regiment, we would have lost the Civil War and slavery would have continued. That comes from John Adams. This is what we see in one of the main leaders in Peter Mullenberg, perhaps the most iconic figure associated with the Black Robe Regiment. A Virginia minister, Mullenberg, accepted the commission to lead a regiment on the Continental Army. An antidote likely, uh, we, we see this was in the 18th centuries. 
but he was preaching to his congregation in his clerical robes only to strip them off and reveal his military uniform underneath. A dramatic appeal for men to join the patriotic struggle. Molenberg served as an officer in the Continental Army throughout the war and, a, and commanded a brigade at the Battle of Yorktown. You see, for, for these type of men that have iron in their spines, there is just something different. Even the early apostles, they would not think that church attendance was acceptable. They would say, you guys keep your mouth closed on these issues? That this is just how we live, and we're following this man who is going to the cross, who's laying down his life, and every single disciple followed in suit, even our founding fathers who wanted to go after this thing. I'll tell you, we need to have a higher barometer when it comes to moral, uh, the, a moral compass. Perhaps you remember years ago whenever the president, Ronald Reagan, called out the Soviet Union and he called him the evil empire. Well, there were certain news channels that didn't like that as if America is allowed to be the moral barometer and call what is good and what is evil and he just called it is what it is. And perhaps America's lost her footing to where we're no longer the moral barometer. But I'll tell you this, the Titanic of, 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 of morality is sinking. And we as churches cannot just entertain ourselves and re-erect deck chair, you know, rearrange deck chairs and just polish brass while the ship is sinking and celebrate that maybe Jesus will come and rescue the ship. The ideology of singing hymns that just say, hold the fort till Jesus comes and just we'll see each other in the sweet by and by is, is a defeatist mentality. And that is not us. We're on the winning team. Can I just remind you, Jesus is not biting his nails. He is not nervous. He's not pacing. He's not wringing his hands. All is well in the kingdom. And he has a game plan. He is unimpressed with Burger King. <laughs> Couldn't be less impressed with Burger King. Jesus knows who he is. He knows the game plan. He knows how he's called people. He knows the militant call to march this thing out in your everyday decisions and how you stand up at your job and how we, we live with what we allow and no longer. And we say, this is the way that we're going to live. And this is the way that we're going to act it out. In Proverbs 28, verse 2, it says, When there is moral rot within a nation, its government topples easily. But wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. And so I've just got to remind you on this question. Have you ever felt like you've woken up in a different America that has toppled because of the morality? The Bible called it out thousands of years ago. We also see this in Daniel chapter 1. When King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he overthrows King Jerohokim. And it says in the third year of King Jerohokim, it says that King Nebuchadnezzar came in, took all of the people, and then it said he began to teach them the ways of the Chaldeans. And he took out all of the articles from the temple of God and put him into the temple of his gods. And there was a transfer of ideology. And now you're trained and you're taught the, the Babylonian way. And there has been a shift to where we have taken the goodness out of the church and we've stripped it and we've replaced it with other gods and ideologies where now we teach you a new philosophy of the day. Can you imagine being the people like Daniel? You wake up and you're in a different nation. It's a different day of what they had experienced. Sometimes I hear this from, from our, our church family. We want to hear this 
Quaker ideology and who were the founders of the Quakers and the founders of our country, let me remind you who some of our, our Quaker brothers and sisters are. Did you know that Quakers were some of the biggest freedom fighters whenever it came to injustices like slavery? How about anybody like chocolate? Cadbury chocolate? Eggs with cream on the inside? The origin founders were Quakers. They were trying to come up with something that they thought would be a nutritional alternative to alcohol. This is what they came up with. And at first it was a, it was a drink. And then they, they said, we can solidify this thing. And so they came, this whole business idea was actually to help uh, people um, with, with new job opportunities, with this new econo- uh, commodity that they found. Cadbury was a Quaker family enterprise and one whose business aims to, to be fused with idealism, a concept Cadbury calls Quaker capitalism. For companies like Cadbury, the point of having business wasn't to make a lot of money and then later on become a philanthropist. The goal was to benefit others right from the start. As soon as they were able, Cadbury says that they were doing things like raising wages of the workforce, introducing Saturdays off, introducing uh, pensions, introducing unemployment benefits and sickness benefits, and even free doctors, free dentists, vitamin pills for staff. This was Quaker capitalism at the beginning. The idea is not to fall in love with Jesus and then we can all just become poor. The idea is it's hard to help somebody that you're in no better of a position. And so they wanted to have businesses that were rocking and rolling, not so that they could have cool vacations and and just, you know, live their life with vacation mindsets and just check out. The goal wasn't to have a lot of money so they could check out at a resort. The money was to, to, to fund setting people free. How about this? Charles E. Heiser, the father of root beer. He created root beer as a, as a substitute for the actual beer. He saw drunkenness in his, in his state. How about the Mayflower Compact, which was written by Quakers? How about William Penn, who founded Pennsylvania? He wrote the Pennsylvania Constitution, which is where we gleaned to write the U.S. Constitution through William Penn. When it comes to relationships with Native uh, Indians and Native Americans, Native Americans said, there's only one white man that I'll ever trust, and it's William Penn. William Penn never lied to me. It was a Quaker. It was a man who came with the spirit of peace, but with the spine of conviction. Quaker banks, how about James Barclay, who was a banker, and so was John Gurney. These guys who eventually put their banks together, and they created what we know today as Barclay Bank, or you know the Barclay Center, where the, the Brooklyn Nets play. Quaker This doesn't look like that simple life, simple speech, simple living, does it? This was Quakers with visions to have finances to to bust people free. The Quakers uh, Quakers created a system of putting price tags on things. The market used to be bartering, and so people would be cheated. And so now we're used to having prices that don't change. And so you go from store to store, and whenever we buy our Quaker oats, we know exactly that the price is not going to be different for Betty than it is for me. It's a standard price. It was a fair market. Quakers put this in. How about Joseph uh, Lister? Born in 1827, he was a doctor. Joseph Lister, who was a doctor who uh, was able to to reduce post-operative infections, especially as it came to surgeries of the mouth. He became the father of modern surgery. Eventually, Lister created Listerine. Some of us use this more than others. Some of us need to up our game on using this more than you currently do. 
about Levi Coffin, who was born in 1798. He was a Quaker, a Republican, an abolitionist. He was a farmer, a businessman. He's known as the president of the Underground Railroad. Coffin's home has been right here in Indiana, in Wayne County, in Richmond. And he had a business where he was, he was helping fund uh, uh, slaves out of uh, the, the east from West Virginia down the Ohio River to come into Ohio and to make their way into Indiana. They thought Indiana was the great wild, wild west. This was so far west. And if I could get to Indiana, I would be free. Whew. If we can just get to Indiana, we could live free. If we could get to Fairmount and Fairmount, friends, could we live free? Could we have a church? I'll tell you, Fairmount needs a church that is shining. Indiana needs Fairmount friends to shine. America needs our churches to shine with courage and conviction. You know, even just north here on State Road 9, there's the Shugert's house. There's one of the houses for the Underground Railroad. These men were not just going to be silent in their churches. They believed like Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper said this. He said, there's not one square inch where the Lord of all of creation does not declare mine. And he speaks that this is mine. And God, the sovereign one, cries out, mine. How about Thomas Garrett and Harriet Tubman? Thomas Garrett, who was born in 1789 in, in, uh, in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. He was a member of the Quaker Darby Friends Meeting. His life as an abolitionist through the 1800s, at 24 years old, he caught a vision. And he began to free slaves and setting them free. He, was, he partnered with Harriet Tubman as they, would, as they would sneak slaves out. Harriet Tubman said this, she said, I freed a thousand slaves, and I would have freed a thousand more had they only known they were slaves. It's a mindset. It's a mindset that just gets you locked up. And she's like, I want to fight for you. I'm going for you. Thomas Garrett, they said that he freed 2,700 slaves. Eventually, the slave owners were so frustrated with him, they forced his family out of there to where he had to move. And he then, he's arrested and sued, uh, fined $10,000 during the day, which would be about $311,000 today. Fighting for freedom. Let me tell you something. Having a, a, a message that goes against the culture will get you fined. It'll get you sued. They'll slap you on the wrist, threaten to take your, your 501c3. They'll come for your pulpit. I'll tell you, the beauty of America is fire in the pulpit. It's not in our trees, in our valleys, in our streams, in our buildings. It's the passion of Jesus Christ with conviction. It's the beauty of the word of God. Standing for something. Men want to be challenged. Women want to be challenged of something that's worthy of giving their life to. Even unto death. As it says about the apostles, they love their life. Not unto death. Let's remember our beginnings. Right? Let's remember this. And let's not have eschatological escapism. For all of you who want to be scholars eschatological means study of the end times, right? And escapism means get me out of here. So as I look at the end, I want out. And that's not us. We are here to march on. We are not rapture focused. We're not focused on leaving. We're focused on leading. And we're focused on having a vision of, of bringing the kingdom to the earth. And it's more than just really fun, warm church sessions. It is living this thing out each and every day. You know, there has been a little push 
as we have seen, there's this slippery slope even when it comes to our hymns because our fathers, our founding fathers were these, were these uh, uh, freedom fighters, right? Where now even the hymn of Onward Christian Soldier is being removed from hymn books. It is, Onward Christian Soldier, because it has fighting language in it and we don't like that. That gets us un- uncomfortable. The Presbyterians has pulled that hymn out of their hymn books. The Methodist Church, they have tri- they've gone to the conference and they're trying to pull that hymn out of their hymn books. Some hymns, they've, they've rewritten it. Go ahead and check in yours. I know maybe some of you are reaching for it. I already did. It's still in there. And in the original, uh, original look, I think it's maybe hymn 600. This is us. It's Onward Christian soldier. And we're not negotiating with the language because in 1 Timothy he says, you are soldiers in the army of God. You're called to march this thing out. And we might not be picking up arms. I'm not telling everybody to go get guns and shoot each other. I'm saying we march this thing out in spiritual warfare. Our weapons are not, uh, 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 you know, these guns and and things. Our weapons are are prayer and fasting and spiritual warfare and pulling down strongholds and, and oppression and setting people free and inner healing is how we are going to combat in this day. Check this out. Abraham Kuyper said this, when principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then the battle is your calling and peace has become sin. You must, at the price of the dearest peace, lay your convictions bare before friend and enemy with all the fire of your faith. Lay your convictions bare with all the fire that you have. Unapologetically, we live before this God, Jesus Christ. Leonard Ravenhill said this, the only reason we don't have revival is because we are willing to live without it. And we live with what we allow. And I want to say no more because we look at a church generation that's happening right now and what is going on in America. As the boomers are transitioning, the war generation is beginning to die off. The boomer generation is coming. There's going to be a a, a transfer of wealth. It's called the wealth transfer is about to take place. $41 billion is about to move into the hands of Gen X and millennials who don't go to church and who don't give to the church. We're right now underneath 40% church attendance and it's projected when if it's all Gen Xers and Millennials it's going to be 7 7% I'm telling you people this is the realities in which we live and we can't allow to live without revival we've got to have a revival that takes place I'll end with this story in 1857 there was a man by the name of Jeremiah Langford and Jeremiah Langford he was a businessman in New York City and he gets this passion, this call from God to start praying. And so he puts out flyers and he makes a big deal and he's announcing it's going to be a huge prayer meeting that's going to take place. He, he passes the word all throughout New York City. And over your lunch hour, he's asking businessmen to come down and they're going to pray. Guess how many people showed up? Six. Seemingly a failure by all other people that this was a failure, six people show up and they begin to pray and begin to fast and begin to pursue the heart of God. This thing begins to grow and grow and grow because the move of God takes place across New York City. And then not just New York City, but it starts heading west and, and little, little bubbles of, of, of prayer, businessmen's prayer meetings in Cleveland and, and in St. Louis. And as it moves farther west, there's revival that hits the nation. Then there's hundreds of thousands that don't meet weekly. They begin meeting every day. They've baptized over 20,000 people through this great awakening. It is one of the greatest spiritual awakenings that ever hit America right before the Civil War. 
God was preparing. Within three years, there was going to be a great civil war that was about to break free, and there was going to be this massive move to set people free in our nation. And so here's what we've called our men's group to, is we want to pray each Wednesday right here at noon. We're going to spend our lunch hour praying and fasting for a move of God. This coming Wednesday and the Wednesdays through the rest of the summer, July and August, we're going to be here. We're going to be praying. We're going to be fasting for a move of God. We got to see a breakthrough in our land, right? Because America is great because she is good. Guys, that was my introduction. I'm only kidding. I know y'all got cookouts that you're trying to get to. I'll get to those other pages later. There's some pride in my heart for our church, for what we're doing in this town. And there's hundreds of thousands of little towns out there that we got to mobilize the message, that we need these pulpits aflame, on fire for the righteousness of God to lead in every arena of our lives. That we can't categorize our faith, that faith would lead the way. So as we close this morning, I want us to get a vision, man, what am I doing with my business? Am I just collecting money or am I funding freedom? Am I just consuming upon myself? Am I willing to lay my life down the way that Jesus and his disciples did? You know, people, we're all going to stand before the Lord someday and we're going to give an account for our lives. And when we stand before the Lord, we're going to say, he's going to say, what'd you do with your life? What'd you do with your time? You're going to say, God, I made a lot of money and then I just kind of hung out. And God, I chased this little white ball around. And I went to the beach and I collected shells. God, look at my shells. My shells. He's going to say, I had a purpose and a plan for your life that I wanted you to max out to the end of your days. And it was to fight for the freedom of others and not to consume upon ourselves, but to fight for the liberty of others and to continue to lay your lives down for a cause that's worthy of it. And so church family, we get to enjoy today because so many men and women laid their lives down so that you can go from here and eat a hot dog and a hamburger. And I want to say, enjoy that hot dog and that hammer to the fullest of the glory of God. We eat and drink for the glory of God. But we remember those who laid their lives down so that you can enjoy what you are enjoying. And let us not consume it upon ourselves, but let's continue to fight for an America that is beautiful, that is worthy, that is awesome, because God is over America. Would you all stand with me as I close in prayer? Jesus, we just say, onward, Christian soldier. We are not retreating. 
We are not going backwards. We're not apologizing. Jesus, we're moving forward with conviction in our spine, with courage in our heart, with vision in our eyes, that our memories of yesterday is not greater than our vision for tomorrow, that we don't just bask in our history, but God, that we have vision for our future. Lord, we pray that your lordship would reign and rule over Fairmount, over Indiana, and over the United States of America. Father, I pray that you would put some courage in our hearts, God, that you would put some the, the blood of Jesus pumping through our veins, that we would be the freedom fighters of America again fighting for the freedom of men and women. And God, we just say that you would shine your face upon our country. God, bless America. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.